meet. Uh, it's great to have you here this morning. And we are in a series entitled When God. And this morning we're going to talk about when God is uncooperative. When God is uncooperative. For those of you that know me, you know I'm not very mechanically inclined. And my brain, for some reason, doesn't process information about how machines and engines and equipment work. I've had many people explain them to me and walk away, and I try to remember what they told me, and it just doesn't stick in my brain. But you could tell me your life story, you could tell me your personal struggles, and I will remember them for a very, very, very long time, in spite of the fact that maybe you wish I would forget them. Um, and so this creates a great dilemma for me this time of year, because when I go out to the, to the yard and I'm about ready to pull the cord to start the mower, or I'm about ready to pull the cord to start the weed whacker, the edger blower, I often say a quick prayer, hoping it will start. Because if it doesn't start, uh, then I find myself pulling a few more times, usually a little bit harder, and now praying fervently that it would start. Um, I then pause and find myself wondering, okay, what do I do next? Because I literally have no idea what to do next. And I had an old mower that I would spray this starter fluid into the, in, in it, and that would work. But I have a new mower, so that doesn't work. So that one's out the window. Um, I sometimes leave it sit somehow thinking that, believing that maybe I flooded the carburetor, which I have no idea what that means. I've just been told that. And so I leave it sit and hope it starts again. But unfortunately, I find myself doing what is defined as the definition of insanity, the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. And I don't end up with that. The reality is there's no reason for this machine to be uncooperative with me. I've serviced it. I've taken care of it. I've put fuel in it. I've put oil in it if it's needed. And it should do what it is supposed to do. But unfortunately for me, there's humanly possible no way to change the situation when it doesn't. So what do I do when one of these machines is uncooperative? Well, some of you know because I've called you or texted you, and you come over to my house wondering what the problem is with me because you could tear it apart and rebuild the engine right there in my driveway with all the tools that you obviously keep in your car for emergencies just like this, and I stand there looking completely dumbfounded. But what do you do when you find yourself in a situation with your spouse and you're at a roadblock and you can't move forward, and you've tried everything you can think to try, and they appear to be completely uncooperative. What do you do when you are interacting with your student, and you're trying to help them resolve a problem, or navigate a situation, or deal with issues in your home where they've violated boundaries, or they've broken curfews, and you can't find a solution, because why they are uncooperative. You've spoke with your boss about a situation at work that's reoccurring over and over again, and all the boss is doing is sticking their head in the sand and not paying attention to it, and you can't figure out how to resolve this because they are uncooperative. And where do we usually turn when we find ourselves in these situations? When, our, when, we, when we're stuck relationally, when we're stuck in our work setting, where we're stuck in somewhere else in life, we find ourselves often turning to God and looking to God for direction. And so we then ask God, and then we ask God again, and then we ask God again. And we find ourselves then wondering, why is God not cooperating? And then we start to negotiating. God, if, you, if I do this, then will you do this? Or if you do this, God, then I will do this. We're bargaining with God. And by this point, we're not asking God for something significant. We're just saying, God, would you move the needle just a little bit? I'm not asking for the dream job. I'm just asking for an interview. I'm not asking for the person that I want to marry, but can that guy or girl just, can someone just say yes when I ask them out on the date? I'm just asking you to move this situation a little bit further. 
But the problem is, is when we find ourselves in these situations and we go to God and we ask for help and God doesn't hear us, then we start to wonder, is God listening? Does God care? And as we sit in the, is God listening and does God care for a while, we start to wonder, is he even there? Is he even there? And we move ourselves from not hearing, getting an answer and assuming God's not cooperative and now wondering, is he even there? And I want to start with this statement, and that's this, that God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. If lack of cooperation was proof that something did not exist, there would be seasons in my life and seasons in your life when you would assume your kids did not exist, correct? <laughs> correct. You're all laughing, so you agree with me, you know. Um, the truth is, it goes both ways, doesn't it? There are times in my life where my, my son or my daughter wants something from me. They want dad to cooperate. They want dad to give in, just do what they want. And I don't. And they could easily assume, where's dad? Where's dad? What's going on? Is he around? Because he's not cooperating with what they want. In the same way, we can find ourselves in that same situation with God. And the difficulty is, in a church you grew up in, they might have told you, well, it's a problem, is your faith. You just don't believe enough. Because if you believed, God would move the mountain. So it must be tied to your belief. There must be an issue with you. Or, or you're not praying enough. And if you just pray more, get more people to pray, then God will answer. Or maybe you're just not being obedient to God. Because if you're obedient to God, then God will bless you. And the only reason you're not experiencing the blessing of God is because you are not being obedient. One of the reasons we're doing this series is because we want to walk into these kinds of questions that we find ourselves faced with find ourselves faced with these challenging situations with God in our faith journey, where we assume that God loves us, we assume that God is there, we assume that God's engaged in our lives, and yet in the middle of that we face our, find ourselves faced with situations where we're struggling to hold on and have hope. Today we're going to look at the story of a guy in the Bible, a guy that likely many of you know pretty well, an event in his life where he asked God for something, and God appears to be un cooperative. And the guy that we're going to look at is a guy by the name of Paul. Paul was a guy that was hand-selected by God. The, the first part of Paul's life, Paul had a career path. He was on the career path to be the religious scholar of the day. He was described as the rabbi of rabbis, the best that there was, the smartest, the brightest that there was. And he was then tasked with this responsibility to wipe out this branch of Judaism called Christianity that was threatening to undermine the freedoms that the Jews experienced with the Romans. And so he was tasked to wipe it out. And that's what he was doing. But in the middle of that experience, God showed up in his life on a place called the Damascus Road. And in that place, God met him. And he met Jesus. And he gave his life to him. And he began the next 20 years of his life traveling all over the Mediterranean Rim into hostile environments, explaining to people that God sent Jesus into this world to rescue mankind. And it was the only hope that we had. And during his travels, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was snake-bitten. And he was in prison. All because he was trying to spread this amazing news. 
And toward the end of his life, he wrote about an event in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians is the second of two letters to a church that the title comes from, the Church of Corinth. It was a small church that Paul had helped establish, and as he helped establish and then he left, he wrote letters about what was taking place to the events that were happening there. These letters were sent to him. He would write and answer the questions, the issues that were going on, and then he would send those letters back. And we have two of the four letters that we know that he wrote, First and Second Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Second Corinthians 12, the Bible's in your seat. It's page 941. You can follow along on an app on your phone or on the screen that will be there as well. And so in Second Corinthians 12, Paul writes about a personal experience. And out of his personal experience, he provides direction for us about how to face the challenge of when God is uncooperative. In 2 Corinthians 12, he begins by saying this, I must go on boasting, there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Who's Paul talking about? We're going to discover in just a couple verses, he's talking about himself. But he doesn't choose to refer to himself, so he's referring to himself in the third person. I know a guy, I know a woman. And he's actually talking about himself. So he says, I know a man, and he tells us an event that happened to him 14 years ago, pretty long time ago. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. He says, I don't know if it was an in-body experience or out-of-body experience. I don't really know what happened. Something happened. Something happened 14 years ago. I know that this man, there he is again, referring to the third party, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. He kind of repeats himself, he repeats himself there. He says, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Something happened to Paul. But Paul doesn't know what happened to Paul. He doesn't know if he fell asleep and he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw some things that were a little unusual, that were a little bizarre. Um, anybody here ever had a dream where... You know, one of your kid's bodies there, and it's one of your pet's head is on the body of the kid's head. You know, I mean, anybody have any weird dreams like that where you can't really describe it? You guys are not going to let me stand up here with my hand out by myself. Okay, there you go. Most of you, right? Or how many of you have woken up and you've that seemed really real? I really don't know what happened there. You know, that, that's kind of what happened to Paul. It was bizarre. He didn't know what happened. He just knew he saw some things. Inexpressibly, he said, I don't even know how to put words around them. How would I even describe them to you? If you read the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, you have a guy by the name of John describing some pretty amazing things. Same thing, vision from God, and he described them. Paul couldn't even put words to these things. And then he said, I'm not allowed to tell. Can't talk about it. Can't say anything about what occurred. He said, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So he's telling you who he's talking about. He's talking about himself. And he says, I can't really talk about this stuff, but the one thing I can talk about is my weaknesses, my struggles. And he goes on in verse 7, excuse me, verse 6, he says, even if I should choose to boast, I would, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, I'm not going to talk about it, so that no one will think, and this is his reason, so that, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I 
do or say. You say, why didn't Paul talk about it? He didn't talk about it because he didn't want people to think more of him. He didn't want to be put up on a pedestal. He didn't want to draw undue attention to himself. He wanted his message to be what was grabbed hold of by people. He didn't want to be thought of more important than he truly was. But God had a solution for him. Verse 7. Therefore, here's his summary statement. In order to keep me from being conceited, Paul himself was going to do it. He said, I'm not going to tell people that this happened. I'm not going to tell them what happened. But God had another plan. I was given a thorn in my flesh. That's what God gave to Paul. Now, now some of you have used this to, um, you know, to describe your ex-husband or ex-wife, maybe a boss, you know, maybe your mother-in-law, hopefully she's not here, you know, um, you know your, your neighbor, a coach, you know, kind of use that phrase. You didn't know you were quoting scripture when you were using that phrase to describe them, you know, but you were. I mean, the modern day version of that would be pain in your posterior. That would be the modern day version of this, you know. Um, but God gave him something, and, and we don't know what it really was. We don't know what it was. But it says, he describes as a messenger from Satan. It's like, this is something from hell. This is really bad, you know. Um, and then he says, to torment me. Now, now, when I think of torment, you know, I think what, what I used to do to my siblings, my younger brother used to do to me, my kids used to do to each other. You know, you, you egg one another on, you do things, you know where they're, 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 um, what frustrates them, you do certain things, and it bothers them, it irritates them. You know, fathers do this to their kids all the time. Mothers never do this, but fathers were prolific for doing this, you know. Um, and that's what I think of when I think of the word torment. But this word torment has a lot more intensity around it. Um, the old translation would have been to buffet me, you know. And, and torment has the idea of something that kind of knocks you off your, your, your position. You know, it's like you're standing there and, and without warning, someone hits you on the jaw and just knocks you sideways. Or you come around a corner and someone's coming around the other corner and they knock you backwards. Paul's describing something happened to him with this regularity that just knocked him sideways threw him for a loop you say what would that be some writers have suggested it might have been something like epilepsy where you didn't know when it was coming you had no warning and then boom it just it just hit you it just hit you some have suggested maybe it was some type of seizure or something along those lines some type of ailment that he could not plan for couldn't prepare for didn't want know when it was going to come you know, a little bit like diarrhea or something. I don't know, maybe that's what it was. I just made that up, you know, but um, um, it might be a problem back then. I don't know. Some have suggested an eyesight issue, but I don't think it would be an eye, because that doesn't, you know, what's an eye, how does that stop you in your tracks? But it was something like this that Paul had encountered. And it happened often. So what did Paul do in verse 8? He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. And I would suggest to you that three times is a metaphor or is a word picture for frequently. Frequently. Um, this wasn't just a prayer in the morning, afternoon, and evening, and then he moved on to something else. I think this is something that Paul asked God for often. I think he pleaded with God. I think he begged with God. I would suggest he negotiated with God. And, and you know what negotiating with God is, Right? We all, you've all done this. We all do this, you know. God, I will do this, you know. If so-and-so asks me to the prom, I'll be a missionary to Africa, God, you know. 
you know, if you just give me this promotion, I'll start giving back to the church. I promise I'll give some more money in the plate. You know, we all do that. And think about it. Paul had more leverage than anybody, didn't he? Paul could have said, God, I, uh, I've, I've been beaten for my faith. I've been shipwrecked for my faith. I've suffered greatly for my faith. Can't you fill in the blank? Fill in the blank. Now, for some of you, as you're hearing Paul's story, you're feeling pretty hopeless right now. You're like, oh my goodness. If Paul, who did all these things, he wrote half the New Testament for goodness sake, if he's asking God for something and God doesn't show up for him and God's not attentive to him, I don't really have a prayer. But others of you are feeling encouraged because you find yourself in the same situation Paul is in and you thought it was just you. And you realize it's not just me, that this is a struggle that a lot of people have. Even someone as significant as Paul, wanting God to show up, wanting God to do something, wanting God to spare me, to change my situation, and God simply saying no. But God said a little more than just no. Verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a lot in this verse for us to unpack, but I want you to look at those first five verses. But he said to me, first thing is God spoke to Paul. God said something to Paul. And I think when someone's in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves wanting to ask God to show up, wanting to ask God to do something in our lives, one of the things we want most is to hear from God. And you're like, did Paul have a better Wi-Fi connection? Is that how he could hear from God? No, no. And some of you have been asking God for a long, long time, and you've been bargaining with God, and you're struggling to decide, is it worth it, or do I just throw in the towel? And even if you've not heard from God on this situation, I hope you hear the words that God spoke to Paul, and these same words apply to you. The first thing he said is, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you what you want, Paul, but he says, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't say, I'm going to ignore you until you sell your soul, but he says, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't say, you don't matter to me or I don't really exist. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn grace. You can't buy grace. You don't deserve grace. It just shows up. It just shows up. And Paul says, or God says to Paul, he says, what I'm going to give you, my grace, is exactly what you need. It's as much as you need. For as long as you need. For as difficult as this struggle is, it's what you need. I'm not going to give you what you ask, but I'm going to give you exactly what you need. And think about this for a moment. Because do you remember in the very beginning how long Paul had likely been asking God to change his situation? Not, not a day, not a week, not a few months, not a few years, 14 years. He's reflecting back on this. 14 years saying, how about it now, God? 
How about now, God? How about now, God? And God says, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you the grace to get out of bed this morning. I'm going to give you the grace to go to work today. I'm going to give you the grace to love your family well today. I'm going to give you the grace to give you courage that you didn't think was possible. I'm going to give you the grace to give you the strength to face a hard situation that I didn't think you, you didn't think you could handle. I'm going to give you grace to give you hope that no matter what's coming your way, you're still going to stay in there. I'm going to give you the faith to believe that God's still alive and he's still active and he's still present even when he's not showing up for you right now he goes on to explain the reason he says for my power is made perfect in weakness for my power is made perfect in weakness." this contradicts everything that we think about because we think god's power shows up in good things in powerful things in amazing things right like we we pray and god answers the prayer and we're like god's power showed up he answered a prayer and it is it's true we think God's power shows up when, when a receiver goes in the end zone and they point to the heavens, right? And that's when God's power shows up. He helped them do that. And we think God's power shows up when someone wins an Emmy or they, they, they um, have a great event take place in their life and they're a sports figure just like Steph Curry did after 33 points the other night on an interview. He said, I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's when God's power, I'm like, yes, Jesus is getting praised. Paul says... There's another place my power, God's power shows up. There's another place. Shows up in your weaknesses. It's made perfect. It's perfected in your weaknesses. Um, I want you to take a moment. If you're taking notes, you can write on the sheet that you're writing on. I want you to grab a card in front of you. If you haven't used that, grab a piece of paper. I want you to grab that as a pen in front of you. Everybody grab something to write with. And I want you to write down two or three of your weaknesses. Two or three of your weaknesses. Write them down. This will help you in your next job interview. Two or three of your weaknesses. Okay? Two or three of them. And if you're not honest, your spouse is going to nudge you and tell you to be honest in church. You know. We know what they are. Nobody has to tell us. We don't always reveal them. We don't always let others know what they are, but we know what our weaknesses are. As a staff, we're working through a staff development. It's a tool that kind of looked at some different personality types, and, and um, it lists strengths and weaknesses. We had to go to someone that knew us well, like our, one of our kids or our spouse, and say, what do you think are the weaknesses? And we had to write our own, and... My wife did this, and the first two, I was like, oh, yeah. Third one, I was like, really? She's like, yes. Fourth one, really? Yes. Fifth one, yes. And one of my weaknesses was, um, was being selfish. You may think, John, you're selfish? You're a pastor of a church. How can you be selfish? And I'm not usually selfish towards other people, but I can be selfish towards the people in my own home. Um, sometimes towards my wife who needs things from me and I ignore those things because I'm paying attention to myself. And, and you might never know that about me, but she knows that about me. And what Paul says is he says, when God's power shows up, when God's power is perfected, is not when I answer a prayer, not when you sign that great deal, 
Not when you bring home an amazing bonus that lets your family pay off some bills or go on a vacation or whatever that ends up being. God's power shows up in your weaknesses. And what does Paul go on to say? He said, that's when I boast about my weaknesses. Now, now what do we boast about? What do we brag about in our culture? What, tell me, what's something you brag about? What's something you boast about? Tell me. M- what? Money. Someone boasts about their money. What else? What's else? What's something you brag about? Kids. First, first service, they said grandkids. They're not, they're not, they don't brag about you guys. They just brag about their grandkids. Sorry, you know. Um, but, you know, so we boast about that, right? We just had graduation. We've got some graduates here who just graduated. You know, Drew just graduated yesterday. Way to go, Drew, you know, just graduated, you know. So we've got graduates, accomplishment. You know, they wear the, they wear the some of them get to wear the yellow cord. That's an accomplishment, you know, Right? Um, we, we, we get a significant award or something prestigious. We get a new job opportunity, right? We brag about those things. What does Paul say that we brag about? He says, I boast gladly, not begrudgingly, not hiding them behind the corner. I boast gladly about what? My weaknesses, my struggles, the things that are hard for me. Because that's when Christ's power rests on me. Rest on me. Christ's power isn't there when God answers prayer, although that's true. Christ's power isn't just there when God does amazing things, although that's true. Christ's power rests on me when I can talk freely about my struggles. Now, I don't want to suggest to you that don't pay attention to your struggles and you don't work through them. I don't think saying that's just the way I am is an excuse that you should ever offer. But I think what Paul's saying here is he's saying, can we get to the place of being okay with the things that are difficult for us and not hide them, not mask them, but be honest with them? No matter what situation we find ourselves in. He goes on in the verse 10 to say this, that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, insult, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. I don't delight in those things. I avoid them. I hide them. I pray that God will get me out of them. That's what I do. Paul says, I delight in them, because when I delight in them is when the power of God rests on me. And I don't know about you, but life is pretty tough, and if I get a little bit of God's power to help me navigate the tough things in my life, I'm ready to take it whenever it comes. But it comes with me not getting from God what I want. But God's saying, instead, I'm going to give you my grace. It's going to be exactly what you need. If you can be honest about your struggles whatever those things are. You say, John, how do we get to this place? How do we get to this place? A few suggestions for you to think about. Number one, we have permission to ask God to remove the thorns. We have permission to ask God to remove the thorns. Uh, Please don't hear me as saying that we should just quit praying about the hard things, the difficult things, the struggles in life. That's not what I'm suggesting. Please don't hear me saying that. Do we keep praying them? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Because God does answer our prayers. But we also need to recognize that God has a permission to say no. And there are times he says 
No. I don't like it. I know you don't like it. But there are times he says no. And in those times he says no, we have to rest in the fact that there is a God who's in charge of not only my life, but this whole universe. And while he's writing my story about the events in my life, it fits as a piece, as a puzzle, of this bigger story that God's writing. Number three, God may choose to showcase his power by working through your weaknesses. What does this mean? This means when you pray, sometimes things make it better. Sometimes things make it worse. But that doesn't mean God loves you any less. Sometimes He might never change your situation. I'll be the first to admit, when I pray and ask God to change things in my life, and God says, no, I really don't like it at all, especially if it's something about me. But I came to recognize a few years ago that If God changed everything about me the way I thought he wanted to, which I think are according to his word, then I wouldn't need to look forward to a place where he's going to fix all the mess in me. And that's a place called heaven. And so I wonder, I suspect that God leaves me with some of these struggles. That God says no to some of these things, to leave me in a place, to leave me in a posture, to leave me anticipating, to leave me looking forward to me, leave me longing for a time and a place called heaven, where I'm going to be with him. It's all going to get changed forever. And lastly, you can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will are resisting His will. You may find yourself at a place today where you've been asking God, and you've been asking God for good things, and God just is clearly saying, no, 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 no. And um, you're kind of getting a little fed up with God. You're not sure if His promises are true. You're not sure if he's going to keep his word. You're not sure if these songs we sing up here really work. The truth is, God wants a relationship with you, even if you're not sure you want it with him. And the kind of grace that he offers to you, and the kind of grace that he offers to me, the kind of grace that gives us what we need in that moment, the kind of grace that gives us the ability to be honest about our weaknesses, to experience his power, is the kind of grace that only shows up in our lives when we can say this, God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. You say, John, can you say that with confidence? I can. I can. And I've watched dozens of men and women go through horrific, painful experiences in their life. Experiences that I've never walked through, I've never experienced, and I wonder how they are standing on their feet, even moving that day. And they say, it's only the grace of God. It's only the grace of God. It's only the grace of God. You see, when God says no... His grace is always the answer. His grace is always the answer. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads with me as we close. And as we do so, just take a moment. 
talk to God about where you are regarding His grace. Um, you, you might be today at a pretty good place. You're like, God, I'm, I, I want you to change this. You know it's my prayer. I keep asking you for it. Um, but I'm okay with waiting. I'm struggling with a no, but I'm okay with waiting. And can you just kind of hold your hands open to him with whatever that is today? And maybe this message is really hard for you today because you've been asking God. And what you're asking God for is, it's a good thing. And uh, God's just saying, no. It doesn't make any sense. It's making your life harder. And maybe your prayer is today, God, even if you say no, can I trust that you're faithful? Can I trust that you're good? Can I trust that you're going to give me exactly what I need, your grace? And can I be able to celebrate and delight in those weaknesses that drive me crazy so that I get a taste of your power? God, you know each person's heart, you know their struggle, you know their story. My prayer is that you would meet them right there. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can all can stay seated. Uh, this next song, um, Bart Millard is the artist of it, and he actually ties in this concept of uh, where he goes through his life, and he says, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, nothing to be discouraged by. But it's when he's held to the flame that that's when the test really comes, right? It's when, it's when the discouragement comes. It's when the trials come. That's when it becomes hard to encourage others. That's when it's hard to keep your head up. That's when it's hard to just keep on going. And um, So this chorus that we're going to be singing here is about amidst the trial that God is still good even if he makes us wait. His character doesn't change in spite of our circumstances. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, Oh, right now I'm losing fast. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. Right now, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can Stay through the fire with your mighty hand But even if you don't, 